All right, quasi-modo genitai Sunday. This is the octave of Easter. In the, in the early church, you would get baptized uh, and come to your first supper, and um, then you'd stay in the church for eight days. And, and I don't know if you've been noticing, but in John's Gospel, everything is on the eighth day, and then on the eighth day, and on the eighth day. And of course, what he's trying to tell you is that's the day of recreation. Um, Jesus, you know, Adam was created on the eighth day, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, died to redeem, oh, sorry, misspoke. Adam was created on the sixth day. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, was crucified to redeem the first Adam on the sixth day. On the seventh day, in the first creation story, God rested from creation on the seventh day. Jesus rested in the tomb on the seventh day. And then on the eighth day, which is, you know what, if things went bad, the Lord pushed it all the way to seven, and then it broke back to six, and so the devil's number is 666. The Lord pushes it the other way, to the eighth day, so sixth day, seventh day, and the recreation comes on the eighth day, and you remember that eight then becomes this number of salvation in the scripture. There were eight people in Noah's ark. Children of Israel were circumcised on the eighth day. Jesus rose from the dead on the eighth day, and Often, you see on a, on a baptismal font, eight sides. It is the number of your recreation and salvation, and that's why you keep hearing in John's Gospel, and on the eighth day, and on the eighth day, on the eighth day, because he's trying to get us all to figure out, you've been recreated, here we go, let's go. And so, um, quasi-modo genitai is the Latin phrase from, from the introit, like newborn babies. So you've been recreated, you've been newly birthed, it's all good, uh, it's the eighth day. Uh, so the text, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by his great mercy, we've been born anew, there you go, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His death is our birth. It's crazy stuff. 1 Peter 1, 3. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who through the death and resurrection of thy Son has proclaimed to us the gospel of peace, grant that by the power of his resurrection we may be born anew to a living hope and so overcome the world through the same Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, um, gosh, it's been a couple of weeks now since we had a chance to chatter. Things are moving uh, very, very quickly. <clears throat> we'll have Bible study through May. I'm sorry, through April. And then the schedule in May, you saw for voters' meetings by Constitution, we need to have two official voters' meetings. We will have those. Uh, the schedule is in. Uh, nominations are open for people for the governing board slots that are open. Um, read all of that stuff, but really, Bible study is done at the end of this month. May, almost all of May is consumed with either a feast day or voters meetings. And then uh, the 3rd of June, all things being equal, will be ordination for Marcus Nelson as pastor here. So kind of mark your calendars and get things, you know, sort of thinking in that direction. Um, we won't know for sure until the 24th of April, that's call day, but uh, it should be a big uh, St. John day. day we have, uh, <clears throat> we'll, hopefully Marcus will come, and then we have both the Knicks and the Blackhawks lottery picks, so we'll have two, two vicars, I think, from the first round. And what's that? That's Trinity Sunday on the 3rd? 
you know, are, you, is this, are you heckling me? Or are, do you, are, are you suggesting that I've made some gross mistake in the church calendar? <clears throat> An additional thing to be rejoicing in is that the so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will be here that week? Okay, that's good. And we had a long... Uh, we had, a long, uh, we had a long discussion about whether this was a gold Sunday or a white Sunday today. We went with gold since it was the octave, but maybe it should have been white. We'll have to try to figure that out. So who knows? So, you know, kind of pay attention here. The other thing is, and if you've been to a whole meeting, you've heard me say this, but if you haven't, um, I'll say it to you now. You know, just, just you really need to kind of relax into the next two weeks and have a good look at St. John and yourself. We have two weeks to define our future for the next 10, 20, 30 years. It's two weeks, that's it. So, um, you know, I'm completely comfortable with that because of how hard people have worked. I hope you're completely comfortable too. I know that uh, people are struggling, people are thinking, people are asking questions, they're figuring out how far they can go. Perfect. That's what you're supposed to do. But two weeks from today, that's it. Um, there is, as you know, if you've been to a whole meeting and are on board and want to, want to bring a gift early, there is on Thursday evening uh, a service here at 7 o'clock. Um, but, you know, it's two weeks to define, you know, the next 20 years. So it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks, but you should, this is the time. If you can live in the gospel, this is the time. You know, if you can live without press and without fear and without force, this is the time. This is it. And uh, enjoy the next couple of weeks. We've had, we had Easter last week. Um, Pastor Gating and I have three home meetings today. We will have had nine in the last, last six days. Uh, so... You know, we've gathered up everybody we could find to talk about them, and, you know, life is good. So just pay attention, take care of yourself. Stewardship just means taking care of things. Take care of business, here we go. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, it was a test of your faithfulness and stewardship, I presume. <clears throat> uh, you know, and that's the same thing, you know. I don't, you know, that's just another thing that should make you happy. I mean, there's old Finn, you know, trying to run the whole church of Ghana from a chicken farm. I mean, come on, think about it. It's just like, come on. It's so remarkable. And we got some other people all jazzed up about the Sudan now. They've, they've met the guy from the Sudan. What people keep finding out, part of the fun, is they keep finding out every time they bump into somebody, one of these guys out there, and you start to hear their circumstances, you know, you just, you just can't sort of believe what... Uh, you know, like the latest request we're kind of working on is, you know, if we could pony up the money for a doctor, then they could build some huts to do surgery and then some open-air huts as recovery rooms. And, uh, you know, if, if they could just get a doctor, if we could, they could just get a salary together for a doctor. So how much do you think a doctor in the Sudan costs? Soup to nuts. And he's certified in two things. Certified in two things, yeah. He's a surgeon and uh, something else. Radio radiologist, which if you, you know, if you have a radiologist and a surgeon, I was musing about the Old Testament reading for today where it's a fascinating story where it says the apostles went to the temple and everybody they touched, they healed. That must have been fascinating because the, I mean, imagine if you're trying to have church and right next door somebody else is healing everybody. Boop, boop, boop. And then even Peter walks out and his shadow goes on people. Boop, oh sorry, can't help it. So you, you're kind of like, whoa, that's kind of cool. Uh, but it, the fascinating thing was that nobody else would come. It's a very interesting part of the text. The, the apostles went to the temple. They did their business, but nobody else would come. It's fascinating. There's people who will go and get it done and people who won't. I think the number was, was it 25000 bucks? What was it? $1,500 a month, and they can have a hospital and a doctor. And, you know, we're sort of saying to ourselves, I mean, $1,500 falls out of our pockets at Starbucks. You know, it's... Uh, 
come on now. So, uh, but we're also trying to focus our fire. We're trying to do a few things well, pay attention. I talked to Don Kretschmar a couple weeks ago with Voice of Care, and he said, and I, and I respect this, and he said one of the things, is, one of the difficulties in his thing is, you know, he was cut loose from the district and kind of put on his own, and he does very valuable work. In fact, he worked with several kids in our congregation to bring them to First Communion. He works with people that are, that are challenged a bit. Um, and, you know, he spends a bunch of his time raising money. And he said one of the problems with churches is they can't pay attention. This is my paraphrase. They can't pay attention. He comes in and gives a presentation. They get all jazzed up, and then they give him. They say, okay, we'll give you $5,000 this year. And he's like, whoo, got that covered up. And then he comes back next year, and they're like, ah, we turned our attention to something else. We can't do that. You know, we can't say to Finn, you know, build this farm, build a church, and we're not interested next year. We can't say to this guy, sure, we'll help you fly this guy. And is he in Uganda? Where is he? He's in the Sudan. Yeah, okay, so we can't say bring this guy in, set him up, build your hospital, and next year we don't, we, we, we will, we're going to turn our attention to something else because we have iPods and we can't even listen to a whole song through, so how could we, you know, how could we pay attention to a doctor for more than a month at a time? We've got we to kind of focus our fire and have some long-term stuff, but if we can think about it in the way of the gospel and say, you know, nobody else is doing this, and, you know, how is it that we can be the church and not even fire up for a doctor somewhere? You know, we just have to, and part of it is, you know, I'm not sort of pitching even for this necessarily. There's just so much work to be done. We just need to get busy. I mean, you talk to these guys, there's just, they're not, it's like the Russians, you know, they're not asking for much. We just sent $4,000 to Russia to help open the third pro-life clinic in Moscow or something like that. There's only two other ones. Maybe there's one other one. I can't even remember. Might be two in Moscow, or two in Novosibirsk, I mean, two in, two in Novo. So we've opened, you know, and we send $4,000, which will get them through most of their first year. You start to say, wow, you know, but it's, let's pay attention now. A little less bureaucracy, a little more action, you know, a little less, little less looking at ourselves, a little more looking at other people. But for the long term, you've got to pay attention for the long term. That's the only way you can do things. You can't, you can't get people all jacked up and get them started and then leave them all by themselves. You can't do that to people. So um, just think it through. It's, it's, a, it's a fun, fun thing. Just, so just pay attention these next couple weeks. Have fun with it. There's so much to do. All right. Um, you know, I don't know how long I, I gave you this stuff, and we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, and then we didn't look at it. But really, this whole thing, this whole year has been to ask the question, you know, what it is to live like, a, what is it to live like a family? What is it to live like a community? You know, what does it look like to be the body of Christ? And my fear is, you know, that if Jesus walked in the door, he would ask some very specific questions. And when he asked some very specific questions, I would like to have some very specific answers. You know, part of it is, is we can miss the point of what the church is all about. The church is about delivering the gifts and then pushing people out for good in the world. Now, there's all sorts of other things that, you know, rub up against that. But in reality, the single thing we're trying to do is make disciples out of the whole world before Jesus comes back again. And we need to keep that focus in front of us. The thing is, is we're all very different kind of individuals. We all have different values and different needs and we have different personalities. But like any family, which can be complicated, uh, there are good families and bad families. Good families are those families who can see collectively uh, how to live together. There are things that you need to die for, but most things you don't need to. You don't need to die for most things in a family or in a church. And um, it's only happened a few times in this capital campaign, but I've had a, got a couple letters where people say, well, you're not doing it my way, so we're not given. 
And all I can say to that is, you know, I'm sorry. There's nothing else I can say, because this is what the family's doing. This is what the community chose to do out of, all of, the, out of all the things that we had on the radar screen. I mean, if somebody would have said, you know what, let's build 10 hospitals in the Sudan, that would have been okay with me, but that's not what we said. So part of it is, you know, to realize what everybody realizes in a family. On the negative side, nobody gets their way all the time. Nobody can bully, nobody can exert their will. Nothing works when everybody pushes and must have, must have, must have all the time. The other side is part of maturity, as you know, in a marriage, in a family, in a community, in a church, the way it goes forward is when people can live together in grace, when they're patient with each other. And most important is to have this external grid, and I'm talking external to all of us, about what is best, love, maturity, and obedience, or the image of Christ, or Paul, what you've seen in me do, okay? It's a grid that's external to all of us. There's nobody who can say, that's my grid. No, those values, that grid, those definitions by which we live are Jesus. And so the final question to ask in anything this congregation does or says is, how does that square up with Jesus? And the pastor's job is always to push you in front of Jesus, to face you up to Jesus and say, here we go. Some days that's comfortable, some days it's not. But what we want to do is live in the forgiveness of Jesus and then go forward and do the best that we can as a community. And yes, I'm aware there are different kinds of communities and different kinds of people. I'm not pastor to different kinds of community and different kinds of people. I'm pastor here. So my task is defined by, you know, the people gathered here. And we have to figure out what we, what we best can do together. And in that, we all grow, me included, the pastors included, the staff included, we all grow together saying, how best when can we go forward? How can we, we know not everybody's going to get their way. There are 2,000 people or 2,100 people. There's nobody's not going to, bah, not everybody's going to get their way. Take that off the table. The answer is, how best can we serve the people who are gathered in this place towards single-mindedness and a single purpose? to do Christ's will here on earth, and what's the best way to do that? So hopefully over the course of this year, we've figured that out, and uh, it's a question of how we can be together. Now, to push you toward that, I've tried to suggest to you, um, and I think the thing that probably most, you know, probably is most uh, compelling or most interesting or most new to this particular group is not that the first thing at point number two, that Christ is present, you know, we live and die by the notion that Christ is present, or that even Christ embodies the divine life, although that's a very nice way for you all to think about him, that he, he, bring, he, he is engaged perfectly uh, in this love between Father and Spirit, and that they have perfect love and perfect service. And, and so the Holy Trinity, well, among the things that they're doing, is always trying to figure out what best would love the other in perfect serv service. And that then, see, number three, the three point is the thing that drops down to us, which is that Christ embodies us. And this is so if you turn the page, we're at point number four. You know, that Christ embodies us, that we really are in some sense Christ's body, you know, and, and all the stuff comes alive that Jesus says, you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Love your neighbor as yourself. How can you be identical with your neighbor? How can your interests be identical with your neighbor's interests? Because we're the same. You know, I know I've spent 10 minutes saying we're not the same, 
but we're not the same and we're the same. We're different parts. You know, we don't even know how to talk about this. You know, so, so he says, it's like a body. It is a body. Some of you are elbows and some of you are big toes. Some of you are earlobes and some of you are fingernails. There's the odd nose in the group, you know? But it's all connected. It's all spun around the heart of Jesus, okay? So point four, to live in divine community doesn't come naturally. It's quasi-modo genitai Sunday, like newborn babies, drink pure spiritual milk. That's the antiphon appointed for this day, like newborn We're literally reborn, which is why you put the font at the door. You know, there have been questions that's interesting, just as an aside. You know, one of the things I've been saying in the, in the home meetings is, you know, it's six and a half million dollars for the land we're purchasing, but it's probably about another million to move in, to be honest with you, and then about another half a million a year to keep the thing up. But one of the things about the move-in is the understanding of beauty and architecture and art and how those, even something as simple as your font belongs at the door. It doesn't belong here. It belongs back there because your font is how you get in the church. And when people walk by and touch it and kids splash each other in it and you stand by it and when a new person comes and you all turn and look at them and say, come through that door. You know, you're learning about what the church is. You can never give up your baptism when you realize it was your entryway into the body. It's the way you became grafted into the church. So these things matter. Look at this one. God's Son took on flesh. He truly and bodily, out of pure grace, took on our being, our nature, ourselves. He loves you. You know how, 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 you know how much he loves you? He became one like you. You're not horrible. You're not worthless. You're not unsavable. Because Jesus became one like you. Your problem isn't what you are, flesh and blood. Your problem is your sin. And he came to fix that. And now you get to be what you are. This was the eternal decree of the triune God. Now we are in him. Where he is, he bears our flesh. He bears us. He bears us up to heaven. And where he is, there we are too. In the incarnation, on the cross, in his resurrection. Romans chapter 6. Don't you know if you were baptized, you were crucified with him? Don't you know? I mean, he says this in a way like everybody knows this. This is the most basic stuff. Don't you know that you were buried with him? Don't you know that you rose with him? Don't you know that you're in new glory with him? Don't you know that you've come to new life? Don't you know you're the church? Of course you know that. You know, we belong to him because we're in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. It's code word. In Christ, in the body, is code word for Christians. Okay? That is why the scriptures call us the body of Christ. Those who look at other Christians should know that they will be eternally united with them in Jesus Christ. Christian community means community through and in Jesus Christ. I had a couple in for premarital counseling yesterday. Uh, one of the things you always try to tell them is that they see their spouse through Christ. I had this epiphany at the altar celebrating on, on Palm Sunday. Um, there's a moment when you elevate the host where I can't see you. Um, and then I thought, but I see you all through the host. And you see me through the host. There should be, I presume, on the other side at the moment of elevation, the point where you can't see me as well. But you can see me because you look at me through the host. That's how you should see me. That's how I should see you. When you look at each other, I mean, you, 
you just can't, you can't speak ill to each other. You can't hold a grudge. We can't, you know, lie, cheat, steal, lust, none of that, because we see each other through the host, through the Christ, as the same body. You know, when somebody damages their own body, you know, we lock them up. We say they're ill. We try to keep them from hurting themselves. And we, 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 are, we recognize it. We know that that's true. This is why scripture calls us the body of Christ. Those who look at other Christians should know that they'll be eternally united with them in Jesus Christ. Christian community means community through and in Jesus Christ. Everything the scriptures provide in the way of directions and rules for the Christian life together rests on this presupposition, that I see you through Christ and you see me through Christ. It is not easy, we don't do it well, that's why we constantly repent, but it is the external grid value rubric by which we live. You may not see me outside Christ. I may not see you outside Christ. I may not, because to do that is to disagree with Jesus. Jesus says to me, you're part of my body. He says to you, you're part of my body. And if you say to somebody else or treat somebody else as if they're not part of the body, you disagree with Jesus, and that is unfaith, okay? Of course, the upside is, is we learn then to love each other, care for each other, consider each other as the body of Christ. I think it's probably why older people learn patience. They just have practiced this longer, you know? They just, they just have, we have some really beautiful old people here, and they're just, they're compassionate, and they're warm, and they're loving, and not a heck of a lot bothers them. You know why? Because they've practiced not being bothered through their life. Great. I mean, wander down to Joy Group. There's some fine people there. There's also some people who have been cranky their whole life and are still cranky because that's what they practiced. Okay? God bless the Joy Group. I hope they're not here. <coughs> but you know what? I mean, you, there are some people, you look at them, and I, you, point, you point your kids at them and say, grow up to be like that, and don't grow up to be like that. And that's okay. That's okay in the church. So partly, you know, now the next bullet point, we walk around inside him. We do our living inside him. We live inside Easter. We live inside Christ. And this, like a marriage or like a family, you know, you know what the biggest problem in marriage is? You, you do your sinning in real close quarters. Same with a family. You know, you sin within those four walls, and that's where you live. Well, you know, that, that's, that's the reason it's hard in a church. That's why, that's why it's hard, because you sin inside. You know, we're all inside. So the good that we do, we do inside, and the evil we do, we do inside. We do our sinning inside, and we even do it to him. If you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. When you're cruel to somebody in this congregation, you're cruel to Christ. You did it to the least of them. I mean, Jesus says it for a cup of cold water. Give him a cup of cold water. You gave it to me. You visited me in prison. You gave it to me. The other side is true, too. You slap me in the face. You did it to Jesus. I lie about you, I did it to Jesus. Everything cuts two ways, you know? So I mean, that, that's, and so, so to say to you, you know, don't lie, don't slap, don't curse, don't be, be patient. That's not putting you under the law, that's saying, wow, don't sin within the walls because you all know what happens when we do that. Part of living with community is the vigilance. It is the easy vigilance, the easy care of each other you know, that isn't the way of how Jesus cared for people. Jesus wasn't a softy. He didn't indulge everything about everybody. Jesus indulged the repentant. He got near to the repentant and they couldn't even tell. You know, they could, they could feel it in him. 
You know, they could sense that something had happened, but they didn't sense it as off-putting or judgmental. For sinners who are repentant, he's the easiest one. For publicans, for the guy who stands in the back and says, forgive me, I'm a poor, miserable sinner, Jesus is the easiest man on earth. We should be too. For Pharisees, who stand in the front and say, man, I'm glad I'm not like everybody else in this congregation. You all are bums, but I'm great. You know, you know that story. Jesus says, which one went down justified? Well, it was the guy who stood in the back and, you know, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. It's me. So abide in me as I abide in you. That's literal language. You are in the body of Christ. That our joy may be full. Jesus knew what he was talking about in that prayer before he got crucified. I mean, he's basically saying to us, live within the gifts I'm given and your joy will be full. And here's the weird thing. If your joy is full, you don't have to do evangelism in the classic sense. You know why? Because people will crawl over broken glass to come to your church and school if they sense joy in you. If people walk in and they smell joy, which is to say, if they, if, if they walk in and smell what they haven't got, you won't be able to keep them out. So in some ways, the best evangelism is to live like a good Christian is to live within the gifts. People are not used to being, they're not used to people being kind to them. I mean, one of the most fascinating things for me right now is no kid under the age of 13 or 14 can look me in the eye and even acknowledge a good morning. Some kid yesterday, where, well, I can't remember where I was, stunned me. I can't remember I was where I was now. I was one of the whole meetings and a couple of ki older kids, older kids under 15, 14 came along to sit and do their homework. And as I approached the table, the boy stood up and extended his hand and said, good evening, Pastor. I was floored. That has not happened to me in a year. One of the very interesting things is that we, we, we just don't know how to do that anymore. We don't, know how, we don't know how to be kind to each other. We don't know how to care for each other. We don't know how to be respectful. We don't know how to be civil. Um, you know, check what's happened in New York City the last couple of weeks. You WFAN fans, you. No? Hey. But, just, but if, we were, if we were a place where such a thing happened, and I'm not talking about in a sort of, you know, you know old-style, dead Lutheran, orthodox sort of way, like, shape up with your pastorals. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, well, here's a place where I can relax and be forgiven and be loved and when I'm a bum they're still going to love me and you know what I wouldn't want to ruin that so I wouldn't be a bum that's what I'm talking about if we put kids like that out of our school and members like that out of our church you can't keep people out because suddenly you're living within the body of Christ and joy becomes full and if you can't describe your experience in the church as joy predominantly as joy something's wrong we can't predominantly describe our experience as joy together, then something is wrong. There's something that needs to be repented of. So, you know, I just, just think it through. And now, you're not going to go home and get joy by screwing a smile on your face. Joy comes by abiding in Christ, abiding in Christ by go, it comes by going to where Christ is found, and Christ is found in the water and in the bread and in the wine and in holy absolution. That's where you find him. So how do you encourage a congregation to live in joy? You, you pummel them with word and sacrament. 
you expose them as much as you possibly can. That's why it's a great sadness at 9 o'clock. You know, we don't have the supper today. You know, stand in the pulpit preaching about the supper that's not there. It's crazy talk, you know. Okay? So inside we are. The only true joy is a forgiven joy and absolved joy. Jesus roots, strengthens, nourishes us, uses us for his own good. And this is really important so Jesus gets what he wants. It's not about what you want. The growth of the kingdom. It's his body, not ours. If you really believe it's his body, then it's his body. It's not yours. You know, what, things that take over somebody's body we call cancer or infection or virus or bacteria. Those are foreign things that take over the body. That's when a body's gone bad. You and I can't take over the body. If we take over the body, we will ruin it. We will kill it. Okay, it's about Christ. It's about his gifts. It's about being exposed. It's about his koinonia, his body, not ours. So we eat his body and blood to make us his body. That's exactly what he says in 1 Corinthians 10. Don't you know that you who receive the bread from one loaf are now one body. Don't you know that? You who drink from one chalice are now one church. Everybody knows that. Come on. That's just what everybody knows. If you didn't get that when you were confirmed, you probably should go back through again. That's what, that's, what, that's what Paul means. It's this rhetorical exclamation. Hey, you remember the eight days of Easter, the octave? Easter to Easter, Easter two. You remember those eight days, what you were told? You were told you're the body of Christ. And so we come every week and we rehearse this gift of incarnation which absorbs us in the rhythm of the liturgy, whose focal point is the Eucharist. You know, Christians can praise in all different sorts of ways. They can, they can come to church in all sorts of different ways. But the bottom line at the end of the day is if it's about Christ or about us. And the most Christ-centric thing we can do is be nourished with his body and blood. Eat this, drink this for the forgiveness of your sins. Do it over and over and over again. We're absorbed into that, and then we're sent out in Christ's scripture prayer, the divine service, generosity, witness, and mercy. Out you go. Get busy. Live out that joy somewhere else. And if you hear that as the law, you're not reading me. This is like somebody giving you a million dollars and saying, hey, go give this away and then come back and get some more next week. It's like the apostles on the Temple Mount where Jesus says, get busy, and when they go out, what they find is when they make a shadow on somebody, the person gets healed. That's a remarkable kind of life. That's the life you have, too. You have it in a different way. You know, we're pretty good with sickness, but with people's sadness, do you know? I read something the other day. In other, in other civilized, you know, first world countries, well, here... Here, here, a couple of things. I'd have to find this for you to be sure, but the more first world you are, the higher the rates of depression and suicide. Do you know this? And in the United States, you know, in other countries, it's like two, three percent of people diagnosed with depression and moving towards suicide. In America, some like 18 percent of people are de debilitated by some form of, uh, of depression. I mean, why is that in the most prosperous nation in the whole world? Because we don't have, because we, we lack joy. We have stuff and we lack joy. Why do we lack joy? Because we think our stuff is more important than Christ. We think creaturely things are more important than the Creator. This is like shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, the explanation is easy. You all know this. I feel like I'm kind of insulting just even saying this to you. You all know this. I mean, you know where your bread is buttered. 
but it's in the execution. And so it's this constant repetition of, it's about Jesus, it's not about us. And by nature, we won't get it right, but if we stick to his gifts, we will get it right. And it does, as one of you said earlier, you know, it takes intentional community. You've got to pay attention to your life. It's the reason we have spiritual fathers. It's the reason we examine ourselves before we go to the supper. It's the reason we use the Ten Commandments to check ourselves. It's the reason we say a very, very long confession when other churches are saying, uh, you know, I didn't do a very good job using my talents this week. We're saying, I'm a damn miserable sinner by nature, sinful and unclean by what I did and what I didn't do. Because when it's all forget, when it's all when it's all confessed, then it all gets to be forgiven. Boom, and then you're back on top again. Okay, and so then the far side of this is this notion of Eucharistia. The Eucharist goes to Eucharistia. I'm thankful for what I got. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for the gifts. I'm thankful for where the Lord has put me, and I'm happy to be used toward what He would like to do with His world. And so your life is this constant reflection. This is the whole thing, but this is why I always find it so odd when people think stewardship programs switch on and off. All stewardship is is just a little bit more attention on a particular thing. You know, you don't, you don't make a big deal when you switch from an appetizer to an entree. You just say, that's what we're doing now. You know, you switch from an entree to dessert, you say, well, I'll have some of that. At different times in your life, you just pay attention to different things. So what we're paying attention to right now is sort of, you know, great big thing and can we do it together? And then, you know what, that'll sort of drift away and we'll take care of another part of our life. We'll take care of missions or we'll take care of kids. Or, but, you know, it's just, this is just normal. I mean, this is what we do in the church. It's this constant vigilance to care for the gifts. This is just, it's just what it is. This is how the Lord builds community. The giving of his gifts, and this is really important, the practice of his gifts. And uh, women who've been in the Friday morning women's Bible study, we've been reading uh, Lauren Winner's Mudhouse Sabbath. And one of the things she observes is, uh, from the Jews, and Christians should observe this, you, know, you don't always feel like doing what you ought to do. And so what happens oftentimes, we don't do it. She said, you know, one of the gifts the Jews could bring to Christians are, they understand that practice often leads to belief. And in raw times, the doing of things comes, leads to the believing of things. And that's why a liturgical, and I'm not just talking about Sunday, I'm talking about a daily life of saying your prayers and forgiving your sins and loving your kids and kissing your wife, all those sorts of things. If you do that on a regular, disciplined basis, things just work out. You know, some days you believe it, some days you don't. You know, some days it's easy, some days it's not. I tried to switch for Lent. Um, I'd been, I try to keep my devotions um, consistent for at least a year at a time because otherwise it doesn't, um, it's too easy to capitulate based on your personality. So I tried, uh, this is why I need a spiritual father who's clear, closer by so I can talk these things over. I tried to, I tried to shift my attention um, from what I've been doing almost for two years in terms of my devotional life to, to praying with icons um, at the beginning of Lent, you know, in the middle of the capital campaign, right before all the home meetings and all the other stuff that was going on, which was a bad move. And I had to actually switch back, although I'm going to switch back again as soon as I can get a little breath here. But one of the things, one of the things you realize is when, when you're under the gun, when there's just so much going on, 
I'm not saying this in a bad way, I'm saying this in a positive way. When there's so much going on, you can't sort of, you know, rebuild the house. Um, and I would come to my, you know, time to do that. And I didn't have the mental or uh, intellectual energy to redo the rhythm of my devotional life. But I will, because I think it's a valuable thing, and I'm, I'm very interested in how beauty shapes faith. That's kind of the next thing I want to think about personally. But, you know, what I found is if I didn't, if I didn't follow that, what I, so I went back to what I'd been doing for two years, which was very comfortable and very easy because it was very disciplined. The point of all that is, is in the midst of all the chaos of your life and what goes on, you actually need to have the things that are steady and strong. You know this in all other aspects of your life. It is true in your own life, too. And that makes you fit, then, to live within your family and to live within your community. It's only when, when, when that's tended that you become an asset, you know, to the greater body of Christ. And that comes with practice. And just hear me. I mean, I've said this four times already in this 45 minutes, but I'm not talking about by force. I'm talking about in the way of love. Jesus will listen to your prayers. That's a great gift. Jesus will give you a supper. That's a great gift. Jesus will let you play in his kingdom. That's a great gift. Jesus will let you be part of his body. He'll let you build his community. He'll let you extend his kingdom. He needs nothing from you, and he'll receive your gifts. That's Christian life. That's what Jesus came to do. And, you know, I'm going to say again now, because uh, occasionally somebody shoots a flare over my bow, I am aware, I am aware that I'm talking to you about sanctification. I'm talking to you about what, goes, what is beyond the justified life. I'm not simply talking about the forgiveness of sins. I'm talking about what the forgiveness of sins means in your own life. I was walking by, um, you know, and I shouldn't be such an anal analytical pain in the backside, I suppose, but... I'm walking by to church this morning, and there's a sign, do you know the way to heaven? I'm thinking to myself, yeah, then what? I'm sassy, aren't I? <clears throat> and then, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, we got that, okay? Um, some of the, you know, folks who are only around for shorter periods of time are like, why is the tenor of what you're saying the tenor of what you're saying? And the answer is, because for 10 years I've been talking about the other things, and now I'm free to talk about something else. For 10 years, I've been talking about grace bestowed to you in Christ. That Christ is not the gospel, but the gospel is applied to you in sacramental word and sacramental action. But there's life beyond that. And that is life in the community. You know, it's like getting a, it's like getting a toy for Christmas and you, know, you put the batteries in, but you never play with it. Yeah, I know it's about the toy, and I know it's about the batteries. It's also about the playing with it. And that's where we are in our life together. And Lutherans hardly ever talk about that. And Christians who talk about it usually don't know what they're talking about. But then you bump into people like Capon and Nowen and Winner and Peterson and Luther. And they're so free. And they so understand. And they show you something you could never believe. And you should be part of that. That's a Christian life. Okay? All right, let's pray and let's go. Next thing. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You might just carry on with this a bit. I'm kind of at point number five. Um, the quotes are primarily from Bonhoeffer, uh, who is another, you know, another guy who got it, uh, lived it and died it. So you might just sort of look at that and, you know, we'll see where this carries us through the month. Thank you.